where I'm from in the, in the Cotswold of England is quite renowned for um, its game shooting. So there'd always be shoots going on of um, pigeon, pheasants. Um, there was lots of sort of deer and roebucks around. Um, you know, it was a normal thing to see in the butcher shelf from a young age to see rabbits and to see, you know, those larger game animals. And I guess it, it was that broader sort of knowledge and spectrum of the understanding of the anatomy of those things. And, you know, we're quite, quite lucky to have from a young age. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Life can change in an instant. The journey you expected can detour both by circumstance or by choice. Life is about moments and any given moment or experience can alter your path forevermore. It can lead you to a life you never anticipated. Stuart Toon is the head chef and co-owner of Rocker in Bondi. Stuart, how are you going? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You um, opened Rocker a couple of years ago. Now it's been a pretty wild ride for a couple of years. Um, how's things at the moment? Good, very good at the moment. Uh, busier than ever, sort of out of all the the year of madness and uncertainty and unknowing. But you know, very positive for now, and we're we're you know, all of us are happy and cracking on. And you know, joys of Bondi winter ahead. But there's not much you can do to change the seasons, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you never envisaged living in Australia, and now you have uh, one of the most popular venues in Bondi. Tell us about that period of time um, when you made the transition from the UK to, to actually, and you decided to stay in Australia. Um, so I worked uh, a long time with the Jamie Oliver group uh, and opened a lot of restaurants for him around the UK and around the world. And a little opportunity popped up just to come for what I thought was a holiday to um, sort of oversee an opening of one of the restaurants here in Brisbane. Um, I came and it went one month, two months, three months. And then uh, I thought, you know what, uh, it's a bit better here. So I sort of just ended up staying. That was that was where that went. So it was never on the cards, but it uh, was a short trip and turned into a very long trip, which has now been nearly 10 years. Wow. Well, take us back to the beginning because you were with the Jamie Oliver group for a long time, but you didn't start off as a chef. When, when, when did you first get interested in, in food? I sort of fell, fell in love with cooking, really. It was always very present in my family. I was the first English-born, um, so we had sort of European, um, Eastern European, Central European, all, all everywhere. Um, so very present, you know, with my grandmother, um, was a really important part of our, our lives growing up. So I always had a real interest. And then, you know, my sort of first jobs were in kitchens, in butcheries, in, you know, hospitality-related industry. Um, and it just became a real passion of mine from super young um, and just sort of started dominating life, really. Well, that butchery area was really significant early on. Tell us about the transition that you went through doing doing uh, butchery. Um, so it started off as, you know, just a bit of pocket money, really. Um, but I guess being from where I'm from in the countryside, it's, you know, quite a, a present and everyone's got a local butcher and everyone's, you know, 
wants to, you know, sustainability is, and, you know, sourcing of product is something that's, you know, it's not, it, it's ever present, you know, in the English countryside, but it's not, it's just accepted as the norm. It's what it is. Um, so that sort of, it was the, the knowledge that I loved and the, you know, the understanding that I got from things and, you know, from all those years spent eating a piece of beef to actually understanding, you know, cuts of beef and where things are from and why they taste different and how they react differently when they're cooked. Um, and that was the, you know, it sort of ignited the fire really for a thirst for knowledge that just then blossomed to go beyond um, meat and, uh, you know, the produce and extended across, you know, into the full spectrum of the kitchen. One of the interesting things about the UK compared to Australia is the prevalence of game birds and um, you had a lot of experience butchering them uh, at a young age. Well, tell us about um, some of the different species that you um, learned to um, butcher in those times. Well, you know, so from all the way through really where I'm from in the, in the Cotswold of England is quite renowned for um, its game shooting. So there'd always be shoots going on of um, – pigeon, pheasants, um, there was lots of sort of deer and roebucks around. Um, you know, it was a normal thing to see in the butcher shelf from a young age to see rabbits and to see, you know, those larger game animals and gain an understanding of them that I guess if you were growing up in a city, you would, you'd never have um, or weren't really prevalent in supermarkets and sort of high street. Um, shops, but it was again something that for 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 me growing up was quite normal, um, and I guess it, it was that broader sort of knowledge and spectrum of the understanding of the anatomy of those things, and you know how they react differently to other meats, how they taste differently to other meats, which you know we we're quite quite lucky to have from a young age, and just have a natural understanding of of that, you know, prior to cooking. Your chefing career started uh, with a French fine dining restaurant. Take us back to the early days when you first started there. What, what was it like? Um, you know, again, you know, in those early days was um, very young, um, you know, working in, you know, what were quite traditional English kitchens, you know, with a team of chefs. Um, and the plan was never to go, you know, throw myself into the industry as a chef there was sort of you know university and that sort of you know education route was sort of on my mind and you know I was in those jobs with you know quite seasoned you know round the block uh chefs that had grown up in that you know 60s 70s 80s 90s English kitchens um so they were quite hard especially being you know 15 16 year old kids sort of you know just shoveling shit really um and you know it didn't put me off which was the thing it was um it was a really interesting learning curve and you know you sort of without you know having gone to a formal cookery school or you're just sort of thrown in the deep end and you know i think it uh it you you learn on the job really and uh just adapt and see how how people react and you know the understanding of of people and how kitchens work is you know it's a sink or swim sort of environment you spent time in the in french fine dining but also um, with a spanish restaurant and italian restaurant how different was it working in those uh, d 
different sort of style of cuisines and kitchens? Yeah, so obviously the experiences were completely different. Um, you know, the French kitchen was very hard and very technique focused and, um, you know, it was run very traditionally, if I, if you could use that word. Um, the Spanish restaurant was owned by friends of mine, um, their parents. So they both worked and, as a couple and it was a, you know, super high energy, passion driven project. Um, you know, it wasn't as sort of leaned on. It was very casual tapas. So it was, wasn't leaned on technically as much as the French restaurant. And then working through sort of, you know, I guess deli style Italian um, kitchens as well, which were super produce driven. Um, so, yeah, such a broad spectrum of, you know, engagement in such a short time. You spent a lot of time in the Jamie Oliver group. Um, you were, in fact, a head chef at a really young age within that group. How did your role in the in the group begin? Um, so I was actually studying a degree in graphic design um, and decided that, you know, I was sort of trying to nullify this this passion for food and, you know, I was doing the boring route and, you know, I'll go to uni, I'll keep mum happy. Um, and then, you know, I thought when I was 18, I went, you know, I'll, I'll go on MasterChef, I'll give it a crack. I'll apply and see how it goes. So I ended up getting quite far in that and meeting um, a guy, Gennaro Contaldo, who was Jamie's, you know, first head chef and mentor at New Street. Um, and then off the back of that show was, you know, a sort of call that was, you know, Jamie's opening restaurants. And it was at a time when it was, you know, he wasn't as prominent public figure. You know, people knew who he was, but he wasn't global. Um, so I started there, you know, relatively young, um, when there were just a few restaurants and, you know, maybe a couple of hundred employees and it just skyrocketed. Um, so I think it went, you know, within three or four years, there were 30 venues. Um, it changed from, you know, uh, a small thing to a massive thing. Um, it just you know, pub, the public went wild for it and uh, there were queues out the door of everything. So my, you know, role changed. My progression was huge through the company in such a short space of time was, you know, from one in run, running one restaurant to running two restaurants to traveling the UK to open, you know, a restaurant every three months to traveling the world, opening restaurants, you know, in, in a very short space of time. Um, at such a young age so you know the learning curve was steep but it was uh, it was a super fun ride he's one of the most well-known chefs on the planet but what's it like working with Jamie Oliver and and in that big group um, it was you know it was amazing and I think you know there's a lot of people and you know we were in it early on um, so you know there was a real personal connection um you know, at the start and, you know, the passion and the energy that he had, you know, in the business, the the produce we were using, you know, was sort of, um, you know, the same produce that Michelin starred restaurants in London were using and we were using the same sort of gear, churning out a thousand covers a day from fresh. Um, so it was, you know, the, the connection was there early on, um, 
So it's amazing. I, I don't, I still see him, you know, as a bit of a food hero and as a bit of a mentor and an idol. Um, and, you know, there's thousands of people around the world now that are in that same boat. Um, but yeah, just like a really great bloke. And we sort of caught, I think, I would never have thought he expected things to go, you know, as sort of quickly as they did. And, you know, that sort of global um, acknowledgement and um, recognition. Um, so it was, you know, I think we were all on it at the same time. We never, no one ever expected it to, you know, go as it did. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was fun. Very fun. You uh, started with the Brisbane site, but worked your way through um, many of the Jamie Oliver restaurants um, around Australia. What, what were some of the challenges involved in translating that to the Australian dining landscape? Um, well, you know, I think when when we got here, um, when I arrived, there was, you know, we'd been sort of doing it for a, a very long time and it was a very different, the same business, but very different, very different clientele very different um product very different everything was the same but different so it was um adapting a lot you know adapting a lot to the way that the hot the industry holistically is in australia um was quite challenging again it was something that we that was something we had to do for you know for dubai for bali for hong kong for you know it was the same um day to day but with a very different culture a very different uh, industry standard a very different um, supply chain so it was about just you know finding the balance between you know what what you had to put in place to achieve the same outcome what did you think about Australian cuisine when you first got here did it surprise you um, what was on offer so I think, yeah, I was quite surprised by Australian cuisine, you know, in itself and and how it had come about. It was, um, it did surprise me, you know, how it managed to create, you know, this individual, have its own individual sort of feel and sense, yet have such a heavy influence from so many different cuisines. It's, um, um, and some of my sort of first dining experiences in Australia, you know, still some of my favourite restaurants today. So, um yeah, I love it, and I still think it, it's got you know so much growth and um, sort of reputation, you know, that it deserves worldwide, sort of to come. Having worked all this, over Australia for the Jamie Oliver Restaurant Group, you decided to call Sydney home. What led to that decision? Uh, you know, it's a, a, a time and place thing. I think for me, it was just what felt right. Um, you know, I loved all, all the places I work, worked around Australia for their for their own reasons. But Sydney, I guess, was that, that happy medium. Um, there was sort of the beach and the people and the weather. And, you know, I made a lot of really solid friends here. It's, it's quite a, you know, a tough gig to come from England at 24 years old. And, you know, within two years in Australia, work in four states, um, you know, and be, be on the road, um, you know, not as a, a tourist, but sort of running a, you know, a multi-state business and traveling site to site and, you know, working in different time zones. And 
it's uh, quite a different experience to what I think a lot of twenty-four-year-old uh, Brits come to Australia with. Well, you, after a decade, uh, you ended up leaving the group and uh, connecting with some very well-known hospitality uh, people in Australia. Tell us about how the conversation started for Rocker. Um, so, you know, back in the day when um, the Ducks was just the little beautiful Bronte baby, um, I had some conversations with Daz and with um, Paul Dewhurst, who's now the group GM ops. I don't know what his official role is, but something like that. Um, so I met them um, and there were a few conversations about sort of the ducks and the growth of the ducks. And obviously my skill set lent, um, you know, quite heavily towards that. Um, and again, it was just a time and a place thing, but things, you know, didn't happen. Um, and then Daza, you know, had a chat with a mate and, as you do, decided to jump two feet first into a new venue. I think the I think the reason for it was because he used to live around the corner. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he called me and said, "Well, I've I've bought I've bought a restaurant. Do you want to come and have a look?" Uh, I said, "Yeah," and we stood in this you know deserted building, it was full of mould and horrible and you know i walked out half an hour later and said yeah why not so it was um <laughs> those you know it's one of those things that just comes around um and again when it feels right it's just about you know for me just taking that leap and saying yeah fuck it feels all right give it give it a crack um and i think it's just gone to strength from strength to strength from there the the food at rocker is very um, Australian. It's very new wave, contemporary, focused on ingredients. Tell us about what it was like putting the menu together with with Darren and and with given the background that you'd had with the UK and the Jamie Oliver group. Yeah, so, so I think the the thing was, you know, with Jamie's was I learned so much, so much on a scheme of that I don't think many. 30-year-old chefs get the chance to do and say, you know, I was 27 when I took over Rocker and, you know, I'd worked in four continents of the world and, you know, run openings of 50 restaurants and, you know, I had so much background in there. But from a creativity and a raw producing the food that you want that feels right for you and, you know, experimentation and, um, you know, almost uh, an unintentional sort of, suffocation of creativity um to then come to something that was so free and creative and flexible um and i think me and dazza just sort of hit it off really it was um you know we both done a bit of the fine dining we'd both him a little bit more than me <laughs> but um you know we both had that same sort of ethos you know we both had the same sort of cultural background um and i think there's the sort of brief you know we were asked for so long you know what what is the food at rocker you know what 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 style is the menu and you know the only re really real answer we could ever come up with was you know it's just food that we want to eat um it's just sort of there's no ethos rammed down your throat there's no um sort of rules there's no it's just about you know 
a good little spot where you want to sit and have, you know, a moderately priced drink that's, you know, thought about um, food that, you know, comes from somewhere somewhere decent, um, you know, cooked with a bit of love behind it and a bit thought. Um, and that's sort of how it's evolved, really. What's it been like uh, creating dishes with uh, ingredients from uh, Australia compared to the ingredients um, and particularly like game that you grew up with um, when you were much younger? Um, no, I love the produce available in Australia. I think it's um, there's such a broad range um, and there's, you, you know, you almost experience that uh, a different set of produce a different um you know season state to state um you know the waters are different from all around australia you know the land varies so much um there's so much stuff here that's not available the influences and um product of you know uh, asian uh vegetables um you know, and those flavors that, you know, so many people now, you know, if you look at what you could call contemporary Italian cuisine in sort of Australia right now, there's so many people that are leaning towards those, you know, Asian flavors and techniques and bringing those, you know, things in, which is something that's not as present in England. You know, um, if you're in England and you're producing, Italian food, you, your influences are drawn on, you know, from Italy because it's so close. Um, you know, there's there's a massive um, spectrum here where I think it's easier to break the rules in Australia. Um, it's sort of there's a a freedom and a, a a willingness to to experiment and you know drawing back to that, you know, produce in England is it it's still geographically so closely connected that um i think there's less there's less room to break the rules you mentioned that the food at rocker is food that you love to eat can you can you give us a sense of of what that is and do you have a dish or two you can talk us through that exemplifies uh, your cooking right now yeah you know i i love i love to eat i love to eat carbs to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> i think everyone does um no, I you know I I love pasta, I love pizza, I love bread, I love I love naughty food. Um, you know, I think if there was a dish at a uh, rocker, um, you know, we've had from day one, um, and we do a John Dory um, with a burnt urchin butter, um, with you know sea herbs, some that we forage, some that we don't. Um, you know, and again, it's coming back to that sort of the classic technique in cooking a fish, um, you know, making a sauce. But then there's elements in there, you know, like we use, we make a bit of exo, which goes in the sauce. We use, you know, urchin. Um, and then, you know, bringing in just really good products like, you know, we cook with pepusea butter, and, you know, always using decent wine. Um I guess that's what it what the the food that we're trying to produce is is just you know again not not forcefully pushing an ethos onto someone but just sitting back and comfortably saying yeah you know this is this is legit you've had a really fascinating career being part of a giant global 
group and then um, switching to a small local uh, restaurant uh, in a thriving suburb. What's been some of the challenges in um, running a smaller venue that is reliant on so much creativity and um, but has so much of yourself in it compared to the days of the Jamie Oliver group? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, it's it's a challenge, but I think as well it's it's a challenge that you know is worldwide now the sort of chef pool that have come from that sort of old school Jamie's group. Um, you know, from places like Padella Pasta on a, a similar sort of scheme, you know, happening in London right now, um, you know, even in Sydney and in Australia, the amount of people that have come from that sort of school of Jamie, I guess, through the 15 program and um, they're all worldwide now, you know, there's people everywhere sort of that you sort of do your thing with Jamie under the radar and, it's never you, it's never what you want to do or whatever, but you're just sort of sitting there quietly learning, observing. Um, and I think all those people now that have come out of that environment um, with, you know, a really solid business background, a really sort of solid um, cultural background, I think is the biggest thing. And that's what I love. And it's when you can do it on a, a, a massive scale and manage a hundred staff, um, you know, to flip it on its head and go, right, there's, there's five of us in the kitchen. Um, just that, that energy and love and like connection that you can bring that for me is what, um, what I've loved. And I think if you look at all of the people, um, sort of in that similar situation to me that have done that is what they've all taken away is that culture, um, and you know, that, that change in a kitchen, um, from it being, you know, a very hard and sterile and sort of brutal environment to, a, you know, let's encourage and let's, you know, share our knowledge and let's empower people and let's, you know, let's make this work because everyone wants it to work and everyone feels a part of it rather than, um, you know, just just working in fear or working to fuck the person over next year. You know, like it's uh, that's come about. But on a on a personal level, you know, I love it. It's um, a real piece of me. Um, comes with its challenges. Um, I think I say to people all the time, it's very different when you're the head chef of a business. Um, you know to the head chef and the owner of a business. Um, it adds another layer of emotion. And, you know, for the 10 years you're working as a head chef in a restaurant um, and someone drops a tray of glasses and you go, oh, fuck, I've got to clean that up. To when you own a restaurant and someone drops a tray of glasses and you go, there's $200 on the floor. <laughs> so I think it, it, it adds that extra component, that extra layer of emotion to what's an already an emotionally sort of draining job. Um, so, yeah, th there it has its struggles. More benefits, more pros and more cons. With so much involved emotionally in your own uh, restaurant and the identity that that creates, well, 
has the last year and a half changed you, especially seeing friends and family and what's happening back in the UK compared to Australia? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the the last four years have changed massively. So I think, you know, from going from, you know, the, the hidden person behind the scenes working, you know, all these hours and doing everything for years and years, and then you come out of it and suddenly you've got a restaurant and you're working with Daz and, you know, you're, you're free and fun and, um, you know, you get a hat in three weeks and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Um, it adds a layer of ego and, you know, you've sort of, you get so caught up in, you know, cooking for other people and cooking for what people think and cooking for, you know, all of these things. And then I think when you get there, you realize, you know, actually it doesn't matter, you know, when everything stops and um, the whole of the world's forced to close down, um, you sort of step away and you, you realize, you know, what, what's essential and, you know, what actually matters. Um, so I think, you know, we all shit ourselves. I think the whole, the whole industry, um, just the feeling of knowing, not knowing from an industry that's dominated by people who like to be in control. Um, so I think it threw a lot of people out. Um, you know, personally, the first time I'd stopped for 10 years for more than a week. So it was, um, yeah, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, I couldn't just sit in the house and sort of ripping my hair out. It took three or four weeks um, before I felt normal. Um, and then I loved it. Then <laughs> I was like, what's this work thing all about? No, we don't need to go back to that. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. And I think a lot of people really, um, you know, struggled. And I think a lot of people within the industry have actually come out of it with clearer heads, um, with, you know, more understanding of themselves, more understanding of their businesses and, you know, more connection with their families and friends and um, sort of got to taste, you know, a little bit of, of what it's like not being obsessed. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it, it's impacted, I think, me greatly, the business greatly. I think, you know, Darren and Cam and Clarkie, the other business business owners greatly. You know, our head chef at the moment, Ethan, you know, it's, um, we're all sort of better for it. You mentioned Darren Robertson a couple of times who you're in business with. He's a former Tetsuya's head chef, um, part co-owner of Three Blue Ducks, the multiple locations, does television shows. What's he actually like to work with? Yeah, we're very similar. Um, it's always been, um, you know, there's always been just like a, a very friendly connection between the two of us. Um, so yeah, he's great to work with this laid back chilled. It's very easy. There's a lot of trust, you know, with Darren being in Byron, um, and myself being in Sydney, it's sort of, you know, give him a call and say, what do you think about this? And, you know, the answer is normally, you know, what do you reckon? 
you know, go with what you think. Um, but it's also great to have someone who does have that level of experience that not many, you know, chefs sort of of our generation in the world get to have um, as a sort of close friend, business partner, mentor at such a young age. It's um, it's amazing. It's something that um, I don't even think he realises he does it. Um, but, you know, it, it's just having that person there that you can say, oh, you know, Daz, I've never done TV before. Like, you know, I've got to go and do this live thing. I'm shitting myself. And it's like... To him is normal, but to have a normal bloke telling you that something that isn't normal is normal just makes it seem normal. With the incredible understanding that you have to open multiple restaurants and, and run them through the Jamie Oliver Group, is there any thoughts to expand the Rocker offering and do something um, more down the track? Yeah, look, we, we have had sort of conversations between us um, you know, particularly over the last year, um, to look at a rocker number two, potentially. Um, I think there are also, you know, there's just four, there's four of us that own the business. There's also a lot of um, staff members that have sort of become more than staff members. Um, and I think there is a feeling between everyone where, you know, it might not be rocker, um, it might be something completely different, um, but there is a sort of, I think, a sort of understanding there that there's 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 more there. Um, so yeah, I think it will be really fruitful. We all get on really well. It's a very honest and open sort of. Um, it's like a, a bunch of mates, really. Um, so yeah, I you know, <laughs> you never know, you never know. This one thing this year's taught us is you never know. But, um, but uh, yeah, we all get on really well. So potentially there's something there and, you, I, you know, I think we'd all be keen to give something a nudge one day. Well, I think there'd be a lot of people very keen to um, experience another restaurant by, uh, by you guys, given the popularity of Rocker. Um, Stuart, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to share your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Amazing. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.